And uh, take your Bibles again and turn to Second Peter. This is. Uh, his second epistle, it's in your very own copy of the Word of God, which is a blessing uh, in our unwavering word. We're going to read just a few verses there, but I want you to begin right there in verse number one. Verse number one of Second Peter. The Bible says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given us into all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and beside this, giving all, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you, and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into, ever, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always, to have these things always in remembrance. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these words. We thank you for the, for the promise, these precious promises that, that, that Peter writes about, Lord, and that, and that we can partake in, Lord, that we can, we can hold you uh, uh, in so many words accountable, Lord. We can trust your words that, that these things are for us, these precious, these great, exceeding great and precious promises are for us, from you to me, Lord, and from you to us, Lord. We thank you for that, Lord. And we thank you for the cross. And we know that all these promises are, are only feasible and only applicable because of the cross. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the blood he shed for me and for these folks here. And not just for us, but for the whole world. And Lord, and we thank you for that. We ask you to meet with us in the person of your Holy Spirit. Lord, fill us with your power and your presence, Lord. Meet with us in a way that we know for sure that we've been with Jesus this morning. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that while we can come as we are, I pray that we leave differently. I pray that we leave just a step closer to you, Lord. Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I've titled this message this morning, if you're up there with me, you already got it, Enter the Kingdom with Abundance. Enter the Kingdom with abundance. And today we begin our series of sermons throughout this month, a series of sermons. And I've entitled the entire series right after... Uh, if you look at the last, one of the last verses of Peter, look at verse 18 of 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, but grow in grace. So I've entitled this whole series, Grow in Grace, to grow in grace. And this second epistle from Peter 
Uh, as I've already mentioned, it's, it's filled with a lot of things. It's filled with some warnings. It's filled with some precautions. It's filled with some, some things that should encourage us to live for the Lord. But at the core of all of that, I think it's, we see the unmistakable love of God for us and for the world. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says that God is not willing that any should perish. Any. Any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. Listen, the Bible is the recording of God's very words. These are God's words written to men created by God. And God is not willing, crystal clear here, for any to perish. For any to perish. So if any person... So get this now, if any person of any time here or anywhere around the world, if we reject Christ and we go to eternally live in hell away from God, we will do so against the will of God. Because God's not willing that any should perish. And with that thought in mind, I want to give you some, some simple truths this morning, some four simple truths that really culminate in verse number 11. Or they, they focus around verse number 11. Uh, verse 11 of chapter 1 says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly, abundantly, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to enter that kingdom, right? We want to enter that kingdom, and we want to enter that kingdom with abundance. And first and foremost this morning, in order to enter in with abundance, we must meet the qualifications of entrance, right? We have to be able to enter that uh, the way God tells us to enter. So number one this morning, be saved. Be saved. We must have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I realize that the biblical definition of church is a called out assembly of blood-bought, baptized believers. But to honor the text this morning, I would like to speak of our salvation to make sure that we're saved. You see, in the first few verses of 2 Peter, he overwhelmingly speaks of their position in Christ. Overwhelmingly speaks of their position in Christ. And to miss our position in Christ, i got to tell you, we miss it all. If we miss that, we miss it all. In all of our life, in the sermons, if we miss Jesus in any sermon, we've missed it. We've missed it all. We need the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1. Peter writes, To them that have obtained like precious faith through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And then in verse 2, grace and peace are multiplied uh, to us, and we are called unto glory and virtue in verse number 3. And in verse 4, we are given exceeding great and precious promises. And then my favorite and probably by far the most important with respect to our personal salvation, through those precious promises, through those exceeding great and precious promises, Look at, that, look at that verse there. Look at um, verse 4. Whereby, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. This is not my words. This is what God told Peter to write. That word, you know, this is, this is a precious promise. This is the most precious promise that we can be divine partakers of God. That word partake in, in the Greek is koinonos. It's, it's K-O-I-N-O-N-O-S, but that really don't matter difference. But it means to share. It means to share, we, to be a sharer of His divine nature. Can you imagine? God, the creator of perfect, no blemish, no variableness in anything that He does. He is, 
made a way where we can partake of his divinity. We can share his divine nature. Friends, to share his divine nature, if you have shared his divine, if you are a partaker of that divine nature, you know, you know by experience that it changes everything. It changes everything. It changes your life, your destination, your outlook on life. It changes your, per, your complete perspective. And it empowers you to live in a way that pleases God. You see, when we become a partaker of God's divine nature, the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God comes and resides within us. Did y'all hear that? I, mean, I know we hear it a lot, right? But God is here. I mean, look, look at Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens. So God... Not even with a snap, but with his word, everything came into existence. And then if we read through that, he caused a global flood. He caused a parting of the Red Sea. I mean, has anybody seen pictures of the Red Sea? Has anybody ever parted any water? I mean, right? I mean, the Red Sea, he parted it. The power that goes into that, the power that makes axe heads float on the Jordan River. There by the, the power to bring life from the dead. The power to heal. That God is right here. Maybe y'all don't hear me. <laughs> that God is right here. That's, that's, a, that's amazing that we have that God, the God who raised Christ from the dead, his spirit living within undeserving us. But that undeserving share of divine nature is based on his precious promises. And it can only be received through those precious promises. He doesn't give it out just because. He gives it out according to those precious promises. And what are those promises, you might ask? Romans 10, 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, this is one of my favorite verses, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Saved is synonymous with being a partaker of that divine nature. You see, Romans 3, 23 a lot, of, a lot of Romans tells us where we stand before God. And verse three, 20, verses 23 of Romans 3 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. All. And then Romans 6, 20, he tells us that the wages of those sins that we've committed eternally separate us from God. He calls it death. Now, when, the, when God says death, we get the definition of death in the book of Revelation. The death that he's talking about is eternal separation from God forever. We have no concept of eternity. Can you imagine being eternally separated from God? And maybe you're thinking, well, maybe that's not a big idea. Think about this. Every good thing in your life, every good thing in your life is from God. Every good thing is from God. And if you want to be separated from that, that means every good thing is gone. We all fall short of God's glory. We all fall short of God's perfect standard. And the result is, again, that eternal death but God. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners living in that sin, Christ died for us. And remember, God is not willing that any should perish. So if we ignore that, it's against his will. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should go, or that all should come to repentance. And just to be crystal clear, salvation is not a religion. It's not turning over a new chapter in your life, a new leaf or something like that. It's not something that we earn or even keep by living right. It's not something we get by going to church or reading your Bible. It is a free gift. 
Do we, we know what a gift is, right? It's free. There's no strings attached. It's a free gift available to all who are willing to receive it. Again, it's not a religion. It's a personal relationship with the risen Savior. Get a hold of that. And never move from that. A personal relationship as real as the relationship that you have with your best friend. And infinitely more important. That's the relation. That's salvation. And before we move on to our next truth, if you are filled with conviction right now, if you're aggravated right now, I ask that you just bow your head and repent and ask God to be your Savior. Because if you're bothered right now, it's probably a good reason. Trust God. Please be saved. Trust Him as your Savior. Repent the best you know how and believe and call upon His name. And if you have accepted Christ, if you know that He's your Savior, you have already believed in Jesus Christ, you understand, again, the importance of being saved. But I want to add that there's, not I, the, the Bible here, I want to make clear that there is a, there's what we call, some have called the assurance of our salvation. We must be sure. We must be sure about our salvation. Look at verses 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11. The Bible says, Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make, to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. So he writes these things. I know we just skipped over a few verses here, but he writes these things after he mentions about those exceeding precious promises and some of the things that we do because we have those exceeding precious promises. So we must... And he wrote those things. Look at back at, um, look at verse 4 again. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers, that ye might be saved. So he wrote those things so we can be saved. And then he lists all those things and says we need to make our election sure. We need to, we need to know for sure that we have eternal life. Now, I want to point out that it's important for us to realize that we had nothing to do with our election. That if, let me rephrase that, if we had nothing to do with our election, how could we make our election sure? What do we do? Right? We've been commanded, hey, you need to make these things sure. Well, if I didn't do anything to get it, what am I going to do to keep it? Well, first of all, I can't keep it. But it's not about salvation here. It's about a no-so salvation. It's about being sure. So please don't misunderstand. I want to make sure this is, this is clear. Our salvation is not something we can earn or keep. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But with that said, we can and should have what I call a no-so salvation. That means I know so. That means if I were to ask you at any given time, hey, do you have a home in heaven? Do you have a personal relationship in Jesus Christ? You can say, I know so. I know so. I am without a doubt I have a home in heaven. I asked my father this one time, and this is recording, so maybe he won't watch this because it probably make him mad. But uh, it was when he was not in church, and I would ask him, and he would respond aggravatingly. Of course, I've told you that I'm saved. And he'd like throw a hammer in the back of the truck or something, and he'd get angry. But now if you ask him, he'll say, praise God. What's the difference? His walk is the difference. His walk is the difference. We should have a no-so salvation. And in reference to building these attributes upon a confession of faith, as we clearly see in the text here, Peter says to add virtue to our faith, to add knowledge to virtue, and so forth and so forth and so forth. But he concludes in verse 9 with the Christian, with a type of Christian who has forgotten that he's been purged. And he begins 
wherefore. Right? So here's this, all these attributes, and we'll come back to those attributes, all these attributes. And then there's this Christian that doesn't fulfill those attributes, doesn't live according to those things, and forgotten the cross. And he says, don't do those things. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, instead of forgetting the cross, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. In other words, instead of lacking those attributes that every Christian should have, instead of forgetting about your redemption, how can we ever do that? But we all have. Instead of forgetting about your redemption, we are to endeavor to make our salvation sure. And since, again, we know that no work from within ourselves can make our election or our salvation sure, this imperative, I believe very strongly, is an imperative to grow in grace. To grow in grace. And what does it mean to grow in grace? To understand more. Look at uh, verse number two again. We are to grow in knowledge of our salvation. How do we have a no-so salvation? Let me just say that for real quick. How do we have a no-so? Salvation is a whole body thing. And we'll, I think I'll talk more about that here in a moment. But we know with our brains. We don't know with our thumbs or our fingers. We know with our brains. So it's to grow in knowledge. Number, verse number two. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. How? Through the knowledge. Through the knowledge of God and Jesus our, our Lord. And continue on in verse 3. God gives us godly things according to His divine power. How? Through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And like we touched on last week, and I, I just touched on here a few moments ago, salvation, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, is a whole person transformation. It's a whole person thing. We are new creatures in Christ now, yes, and even though our minds and bodies have not yet been separated, that's, that's further along, that's the rapture, as we talked about a week or two ago. When we go to heaven, we'll have our glorified bodies, we'll be conquered, the presence of sin, the power of sin, the penalty of sin, all those things will be gone, but not yet. Not yet. We are to be good stewards of our minds and our bodies while we're here. And because our mind, our mind is the seat of our intellect, it is the transforming of that mind, it is the renewing of our mind that brings surety to our salvation. Yes, faith comes to the heart by hearing the Word of God. And a strong faith brings strong assurance. But hearing, reading, and seeing, those are mental capacities, not heart capacities. Romans 12, 2, Brother Shannon says, Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. One of Brother Shannon's favorite verses. Listen, folks, having the assurance of salvation is the opposite of forgetting the cross. Do we see that right there in the passage? It's the opposite of forgetting or even neglecting our salvation. But I want to tell you this morning that we can know for sure. You can know for sure. 1 John 5, 13, John echoes these words. These things, John writes, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. You can know for sure. Not based on your works, it's based on His works. And the verse right before that says that he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son hath not life. Right? So it's present tense. You either have Him now or you do not have Him now. It's present tense. So the first and best way to be sure that you are saved is to trust the promises right here in this book. Trust the Bible. Salvation is not, it's more than experience. It's more than an emotion. It's more than intellectual assent. It's trusting this book, which is a whole person concept. 
We must trust the book. To me, it's very simple. Maybe I'm maybe that's just the way I am. Just an old preacher, old country preacher that makes simple things make sense to me. The Bible states, we've already read this in Romans 10, 9, that if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in mine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, raised him from the dead, I'll be saved. Well, I've done that. That means I'm saved. Simple. Very, very simple. And because I'm persuaded like Paul that he is able to commit those things that I've given to him, I'm persuaded that he's able then that's it. That settles it for me. The Bible says it. I believe it. I'm good. It's not anything to do with my acts. It's based on the authority of the Word of God. There's, from now on to the rest of my life, there's nothing in my life, whether I do or somebody else's do, that's ever going to make me doubt my salvation. Because to do so would be doubting the Word of God. And I think we miss that sometimes. We doubt our salvation based on what we do and not on the Word of God. It's not based on what we do. It's based on what he does. And it's based on the word of God. I have done these things. I'm convinced that I'm saved. I hope you were there with me. But Peter here takes a slightly different approach. He packages it a little differently, but with the same truths. (laughs) Look at verse 10 again. Verse 10 says, Wherefore the rather, rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things... Ye shall never fall. Now these things, the, in my Bible, not this Bible, but the one I, I do all my sermons from, I have these things underlined. These things could be a reference to making our calling and election sure. Right? Right there in the text. It might, I might point to that, but I think it's broader. I think it's broader than that. And I believe that verse 10, or these things in verse 10 rather, are most definitely a reference to those seven attributes that he just listed there in verses 5 through 7. But again, before we get to them, I want to point out to you that by adding these seven attributes to your faith, they not only give you confidence that you are saved, verse 11 says, an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly. Abundantly. You know, there's some people that are going to get to heaven and just... They got, most of the time when I call salvation fire insurance, I, I mean it that that individual is probably not really saved. But there will be some people who got saved and they realized, Peter really talks about him, they've forgotten they've been purged, so they don't, their life doesn't fulfill these seven attributes. So they're going to get to heaven and they're like, hmm, they're there, praise God. But there's others, an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly. That's a little different. Abundantly. Now, the Bible talks about mansions. And I know we like in, envisioning mansions and mine will probably be some shack. You heard the Ronald Reagan's joke? He's, Ronald Reagan was telling this joke one time. And he said uh, when he was president, President Reagan, he said that a, a politician and a preacher went to heaven one day. And they're, they're standing in line. You know, it's all made up stuff. None of, those, none of those jokes are real biblical, you know. But, you know, they're all standing in line. Peter's at the gate. You know how they, all set the, how they usually set the stage there. And the preacher is in front of the politician. And they're waiting. They're getting there. They get in there. And right before the politician goes, obviously the preacher goes, and they say some words. And Peter says, go over here. And he, and he can see his building off in the distance. And the preacher goes to that. And it's like a little wooden shack or something. But the preacher's like, praise God. 
I made it to heaven and I'm going to serve him forever and worship him. And then the next guy comes up there, the politician, and uh, they say some words. And he was saved and he points the opposite way and he gets this big Taj Mahal looking mansion. And he's like, I'm, I think we got in. I know y'all don't do anything wrong, but I think we got an order wrong here. Because, you know, I mean, you know, y'all, y'all got this. Man. He's like, no, no, you, you understand. We get preachers here all the time. But you're the first politician to ever come in here. <laughs> now, maybe I should have put that on camera. But anyway. <laughs> but we will have an entrance abundantly in accordance with our works. Right? We earn crowns. We earn merit. Not to get salvation. Because we have salvation. An abundant entrance into the kingdom of God. And if we have an abundant entrance into the kingdom of God, does that not breed confidence in our salvation? Because you're walking with the Lord. You're, you're, you have a relationship. You know as clear as you are, hey, Lord, I'm, I'm going to go through this store and I'm going to buy this. You have a relationship with him. He's there with you. And again, if you have an abundant, abundant entrance, you probably have confidence that you have entrance to begin with. Therefore, and what could, easily be, what could easily be a standalone sermon entitled Seven Ways to Build Confidence in Your Salvation. I should write a book maybe. Seven Ways to Build Confidence in Your Salvation. Right here from the Apostle Peter. Let's look at each one of these briefly. So continuing in our application of the passage this morning, this next truth is for every believer. We are, of course, to be saved. We are to be sure of that salvation. And we are to be serious about our life in Christ. We are to be serious about it. These seven attributes are clearly, crystal clear, things that should abide in every believer. Right? They're not... Peter did not write, hey, if you feel like it, get a hold of some of these attributes. If you feel like it, if you have time, you know, when you're not busy or at work, maybe, maybe get a hold of virtue a little bit. No, Peter says these things should abide. He says give all diligence to these things. Give all diligence to add to your faith there in verse, in verse 5. In other words, as we will see later, these things are required to be fruitful. And I believe very much, very strongly here, that our seriousness in abiding and abounding in these things is tied to our assurance of salvation. We got to be serious about some things. I'm not saying there's no time to goof off. Christians should be the happiest people on this planet regardless of what we're going through in this life. But we should take something serious. These things are, are at least seven things we should take serious. We must be serious about virtue. Virtue is simply moral goodness. Be good. Number two is knowledge. Biblical understanding. To, to know some things about God. Number three, temperance. Self-control. Don't just fly off the handle of things. Let God uh, control your attitude. I've talked many times about the difference between Grape juice and Coca-Cola, right? You shake Coca-Cola up, you open it, all over the place. You shake up grape juice, open it up, nothing happens. Nothing. Fruit of the Spirit, literally, if it's real grape juice, real grape juice, not group juice, grape juice, fruit versus non-fruit. Uh, we, should, we should be temperate. We should also be patient. We should have a cheerful endurance of the times that we're in. And we need some cheerful endurance today. There, then fifth, godliness. I think another word for that would be holiness. Brotherly kindness, love towards the brethren, love towards each other in the church and fellow believers. And then lastly, we have charity. It's agape love. So if brotherly kindness is love within, charity is love within and love without. To love without expectation of anything in return. 
And after listing these seven things, verse 8 says, If these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. Now, I don't know about you, but that's another one of those great and precious promises that we can hold on to. I want to be fruitful for God, right? He tells us how to do it. It doesn't get much easier than that. First, these things need to abide, and then they need to abound in me. Abiding and abounding. Abiding and abiding in the things of God and abounding in the things of God. And here's the kicker. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have the Holy Spirit here, they already abide. You have all of the fruit of the Spirit. They're already there. And this truth boils it down to really two questions. Are you abiding in them and are they abounding in you? Are you abiding in these seven attributes? Because they're already there. And are they abounding in you? Look, verse 8 is very clear. For if these things be in you and abound, in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. A promise from God. But Peter also gives us a, a precaution. Look at the next verse. This one should wake us up a little bit. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Forgotten. The word used for blind carries the idea of smoke, smoke in the air, smoke in the eyes. And you can picture a person maybe in a burning building, smoke everywhere. Now, this person is a believer, so this person is going to get out of the burning building, but it's going to be a long way out. Because he can't see where the signs are. He can't see where the directions. And he doesn't know. All he can do is feel. He's in the dark. And the phrase cannot see afar off is one word in the Greek. And it's where we get the word, the English word myopic. And it means to be short-sighted. Mentally speaking, prophetically speaking, spiritually speaking, we can't see afar off. And to be quite honest, is this not the definition of nominal Christianity? It's the definition of all of us when we don't live these seven attributes. This is the difference between real Christianity and posing Christianity. They've forgotten that they were purged from their old sins. I've been there. Y'all know my story. After 10 years, I lived in a way that I've forgotten the cross. The Lord got a hold of my heart one day and says, hey, you need to get right. You're saved, but you sure ain't living like it. Unfortunately, I think this describes most of Christianity today. Yeah, we go through the motions and we go through a lot of things. We look good. We maybe walk the walk and talk the talk. But we've forgotten the cross. You know, if, it, if this is you, it's no surprise that you're going to be thrown back and forth by emotion and your decisions. You're going to be thrown back and forth by the situations and the circumstances of today because you're not grounded in the cross. And what Peter is talking about here is that instead of being tossed about, instead of being moved by all the confusion in this world, remember the cross. It's simple for Peter. Don't, don't worry about all the things that are going on. Don't forget about the cross. Don't, don't forget about you've been purged. Remember the cross. Remember the cross. And I've got to tell you, when I'm, for the last probably 15 years, 
I've been living for the Lord longer than that. Uh, I was saved when I was 19. At 29, I rededicated my life to the Lord. And since then, I've been trying to do right. But for about the 10 to 15 years, past 10 to 15 years, when I get to a point where, man, woe is me. When, when I just can't see the end, you know, I'm the smoke in the, in the room and all those things. The Lord brings to my mind, as, clear, as, as God is my witness right now, the cross. The cross. You know, the path from Gethsemane to the cross was crystal clear. But not easy. Remember the cross. Remember the cross. Peter is saying that there's going to be tough times and there are going to be some, maybe even many, who lose their way as believers. Now, they will not know what direction to go because they cannot see afar off. They cannot see God's will in their life because they got smoke in their eyes. And this morning, I believe that God is saying, if this is you, remember the cross. Remember what God did. Look at um, verse 9 again. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So the opposite of that is true. If we don't forget, we're not going to be blind and we're going to be able to see farther than just a little bit. Fall in love with Jesus all over again. Never forget that he's paid your sin debt. Never get over that. Me and Brother Axel were talking about it the other day. You know, it's, the cross is elementary. So simple a child can get it. But if you ever move away from it, Peter's talking about you. Don't move away from it. It's graduate level and beyond. It's inexhaustible what the cross can do for a Christian. It's power, 1 Corinthians says. Fall in love with Jesus. And when your relationship with him, Christian, is rekindled, you will begin to recognize these seven attributes in your life, the virtue and godliness and so forth. You will have a desire to not only abide in these things, but you will have a desire to abound in these things. And when this happens, this is my favorite part of the message. Look at the end of verse number 10, the last four words. Ye shall never fall. Wow. Wow. Never fall. It's in your Bible, right? Y'all see that? He shall never fall. That's pretty amazing. Listen, I didn't write that. God told Peter to write that so we can be sure that it's a true statement. So if we take all that together and put it in a way we can understand it, when we do fall, we can know for sure that one of those seven attributes fell away before we fail. Right? Because if we have all seven, then we won't fall. But if we make a commitment to fulfill all those seven, then we will never fall. The problem is this, the seven, not the one. It's following here. And to be honest, we can't even do it. It's not in us. Well, it, he is in us. He can carry us through it. And the problem is when we fall, every time we fall, it's when we try to do these things. You know, we talked about the... the uh, the fruit of the Spirit, it's been, I guess, last year sometime. But the fruit of the Spirit, these things here, you know, fruit uh, or virtue, brotherly kindness, temperance, patience, and all those things there like that. This is not something we, we wake up in the morning and say, all right, I'm going to have virtue today. It's not something we can muster up. It's not in us. It has to be a surrender to God with these things in mind. When we fall and before we fall, according to the Word of God here, one of these seven attributes has fallen away. And to be sure, Peter's referring to these things. I want you to notice these two words together. Again, I have the word these things underlined in my Bible that I prepare from. 
Look at verse 8. For if these things. Verse 9. He that lacketh these things. Verse 10. If you do these things. And then lastly, I want you to drop down to verse number 12. It says, wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. And read on the verse 13 quickly here. It says, yea, I think it meet as long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. So as we kind of wind down here in summary, we are to be saved. We are to be sure. We are to be serious. And then lastly, we are to be stirred. We are to be stirred. As long as Peter was still breathing, he says, one of his goals was to continually remind believers of the cross and their calling to abide and to abound in these seven things. And then verse 15 says, Moreover, I will endeavor, I will endeavor that ye may be able, even after I'm gone, after my decease, to have again these things always in remembrance. Be stirred this morning. If you are not a believer, if you are not a partaker of God's divine nature, please, please, I beg you to be saved today. Don't leave these doors without knowing Christ. But if you are a believer, please know for sure that you are a believer based on the authority of the Word of God, based on our experience in Him, but the Word of God first, of, of course, and know for sure and take living for God Seriously, we don't live for God by accident. It's got to be on purpose. We got to take it seriously. And then in that zeal, in that knowledge, never stop being stirred. Never stop being stirred. Never forget the cross. When we start to forget the cross, you can almost guarantee these seven are start to fade away. Never forget the cross. Be stirred and stir others. Let us pray.